Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we are joined by Jonathan Wynn, Associate Professor of Sociology and Chair of the Department of Sociology at the University of Massachusetts Amherst, and author of Music City, American Festivals and Placemaking in Austin, Nashville, and Amherst. John introduces us to Irving Goffman, reflects on Goffman's intellectual location and influence within the discipline, and discusses how his own work has built on Goffman's call for a sociology of occasions. Thanks for joining us today, John. Glad to be here. So we're here today to talk about Irving Goffman. Could you just give us a short introduction to who he is or better yet, what he's known for? Almost everybody who takes an undergraduate class knows uh, at least a few ideas about who Irving Goffman is, or at least his work. Um, I myself, when I was an undergraduate, read the presentation of self in everyday life. And so most undergraduates would have some understanding or at least some familiarity with the idea of dramaturgy. We've all heard the phrase that, you know, kind of uh, all the world is a stage um, from Shakespeare. And uh, we have some understanding of Goffman being somebody who took that idea and really ran with it in a sociological way and thinking about how we can understand social life as using theater as a metaphor. And Irving Goffman was a sociologist in um, the mid-century. He went to school at the University of Chicago, and he is one of our most reliable concept generators. Um, Any book that he's written, he has just a whole battery of concepts and ideas that sociologists will use. And so I think that he's really well known for being this kind of meso-sociological theorist. So somebody who doesn't talk about the macro level, but also while he relied on a lot of empirical work, and at times referred to himself as an ethnographer, specifically an, an, a Hughesian urban ethnographer, and we can talk about that. For the most part, a lot of his work kind of floats in the middle and is a, a rich field of concepts and ideas like front stage and backstage and face and props and stigma and uh, reputations. And so I think that he's really well known for being a, a rich source of sociological concepts that then more qualitatively inclined sociologists can use when they head into the field. As you're saying, it's safe to say that Goffman is really one of the bigger central names in the discipline. He wrote a number of the classics, but do you get a sense that he's widely known in the discipline clearly, but do you get a sense that he's actually widely read in the discipline or is he one of those people where you get that excerpt when you're an undergraduate or maybe in a grad level theory course, but you don't actually continue on engaging with them. I think that that's interesting. I would love to do a survey of graduate level courses to see if someone who is so well known ever is deserving of his own kind of theory seminar. I think it would be great. I would love to do that. I've I've taught like a Bourdieu seminar where it's just all Bourdieu, right? Um, I think you can take a Marx seminar, um, but I, uh, a Du Bois seminar, we see a lot of seminars about Du Bois right now, but I wonder if there's actually a similar Goffman level seminar at the graduate level. So I don't know. I think that he's really well known. Um, He's maybe one of the more misunderstood sociologists, which makes him really hard to kind of pin down. He was, you know, kind of like on a personal level, kind of a little private. And um, we tend to hear stories about what he was like, maybe being a little prickly as a person. And so I think that he's kind of generated a lot of curiosity about 
his work and maybe there's a little bit of a, a myth making about who he was. Um, so that I, I think all of that could possibly and his the inability for us to really pin down easily, whether he was in the kind of more interactionist micro level camp, or if he was more of a, a Durkheimian, or if he was more of a formal sociologist in the kind of Zimalian sense. And so I think that with that, he's very elusive. He's maybe one of the most elusive sociologists in, in this way. Are there particular subfields in sociology where you can see his influence being the most apparent or where debates about Goffman still occur? That's a great question. Like, you know, just because I mentioned Bourdieu before, Bourdieu kind of clearly lands in the education um, fields easily in the United States. So he's, he was more broad in everything that he did, but he, you know, kind of when talking about cultural capital, that has a clear application in the sociology of education fields, right? I, I don't see the same thing with Goffman and I could be very wrong, but my sense is that if anything, it's more probably in the world of deviance, especially because of his book on stigma, because he was very interested in the social order. I think that gets lost when he, when we see what he focused on, which were, you know, kind of like con men and card sharks and, and cultists like UFO cultists, you know, he mentions a lot of people who are kind of more on the margins. And so I think that he's seen as maybe speaking more towards those kinds of issues instead of seeing him as being more central and really he was using those examples to try to understand, you know, like mental illness also, um, trying to understand how the social order is preserved. Well, let's head back to your encounters with Goffman. So you were saying that you first encountered him in undergrad course. Were you assigned the whole book or did you assign a section? Oh, just a section and a reader, the Lemert reader, the kind of classic social theory, uh, Charles Lemert reader, a big big book and where you just have lots of excerpts, beautiful book. And then in grad school, I, I got my master's in Las Vegas at UNLV. And that is a, um, at the time and maybe still in some ways, there's some great people there who kind of planted their flag in the symbolic interactionist camp. And I think that there I started really getting a, a better sense of Goffman. There were some great people who, you know, not, not many graduate programs in sociology say like one of our main focuses is symbolic interactionism and UNLV was one of them. And I I worked with some amazing people there and I started being interested in studying casinos and how casinos kind of seep into the public sphere. So how they kind of take over parks and sidewalks and kind of blur the space between the uh, public and private. And so that was going on. I was kind of interested in spaces as a sociologist. Um, But on top of that, I started to hear stories about Irving Goffman spending some of his time in Las Vegas and doing some research in Las Vegas. And there was uh, stories of him being either a blackjack dealer or a pit boss. Um, I think it was at the Plaza Hotel. I'm not quite sure. I think that he was careful not to say, um, although I, I think that it was founded by the Guggenheim Foundation. And I, I wonder if anyone would ever give up, you know, kind of what his, his grant looked like um, or if he even had an application. Yeah, uh, I think that uh, the, the, the the specificity of some of that was a little bit less back then, yeah, too. Exactly. <laughs> it was like a one paragraph. And when you're Irving Goffman at kind of the height of your career, I'm sure that people are just happy to give you some money. Um, I could be wrong. But he also was uh, kind of personally uh, was known as being kind of a, a card counter. And so he was a bit of a shark with friends and colleagues. He would play games with them. And there's even stories in Las Vegas of him being banned from casinos because he was pretty good at card counting. And so re- there was every indication, according to some of my professors that he was working on um, a book at the end of his life 
about casinos and and the gaming kind of institutionalized gaming. And so as I walked through those old spaces of kind of Fremont Street in Las Vegas, I, I really was thinking about how Irving Goffman was approaching those spaces. And so I, I think that that's where I started. Um, and I started thinking about what would he see? What would he be doing there? And really, when you start reading his stuff later on, and even in his ASA presidential address, I think in 82, he mentions talking about particular occasions and get togethers around blackjack tables. And so you see some of the like little insights sprinkled through some of his work in behavior in public spaces and some of his work. But you didn't get that like asylums book that I think I now at this point, my career long that he had finished. When you talk about Goffman, it's it's clear that you get some sort of joy from those stories that he tells. Was that immediate when you first encountered his writing? Right. And in comparison, you were talking about how you could have a whole grad seminar on, on Bordeaux, where it's a very different experience to pick up one of his books and try to work your way through it. What was the writing for Goffman like? What was that experience like? I think I think that that's exactly right. I think Goffman and Bordeaux are similar in some ways where they kind of will sprinkle some more empirical stories of, you know, hopping in a cab, for example, from Bordeaux to talk about kind of intellectualism and Goffman using a newspaper advertisement or talking about Jane Austen or, you know, there's all these different little nuggets that are sprinkled through the theory that have both an empirical component to it, but then also just kind of cultural kind of stuff. And so I think that Goffman, while at the same time, Bourdieu wrote in a way that deliberately made it hard for you to kind of just breeze through it. Bourdieu wanted you to slow down and think. So he would have very long sentences when he wanted to get a real big point across to make you work. And I think that that's, which I think is one way to write. <laughs> um, but I don't think Goffin was, was, you know, kind of had that same idea. I think that Goffin really wanted you to get his points in a, in a different fashion. And so I think that his work is really peppered with all of these wonderful examples that are, you know, kind of breezy and light in some ways and instead of Bordeaux's more dense prose. Did you know that you were going to continue in that tradition in some way? Or was it more that you found your research project and you found something you wanted to study that you're interested in casinos and then you found your way back to Goffman's work? Um, it's definitely the latter. So yeah, no, I consider myself to be kind of a broad theorist. I, I like uh, a lot of theory. I like Bourdieu. I like Henri Lefebvre. I like Michel de Certeau. I think that my, my work uses a lot of theory in the background. It doesn't make it so much in the front. And so it kind of was uh, always in the back of my mind. I taught theory. I love teaching theory in my classes. But really, it was when I was in the middle of my second big book project, which was on music festivals, where I started thinking about occasions, uh, these moments of people coming together and, and in these intensive kind of social ways that I started revisiting the things that I read from Goffman. And so it really came about from thinking about social occasions. How should I be thinking about the festival as a social occasion? Were there specific ideas from Goffman that helped you understand that concept? So, yeah, he makes a call and I think it's interaction ritual where he says that there should be a sociology of occasions. Oh, okay. That should have a, that this should, occasions and events should be a, a kind of a, a focus or a subject matter in their own right. Right. There's in, you know, kind of distinguished from other things like groups and different forms of interaction that occasion should be their own focus. Oh, OK, that's fascinating. And so does he lay out a, a kind of way of understanding it that you built upon or was it he making this call and then kind of ended there? 
I'm pleased that you asked. So uh, <laughs> I wrote a, an article in sociological theory that really tries to figure out what he could have been going for and in trying to figure out how an occasion can be this kind of pattern of conduct. And what I found were two frameworks. One is maybe more well-known, that is uh, the interaction order. And that's the title of his presidential address. And, and I think there's reasons why people like that one. And in some ways, it was kind of his highest profile version of this, his most coherent one. It was given for a talk. Um, it was also given in absentia because he was battling cancer at the time. And so, and then he, I think it was one of the last things that he, that it was done before he passed away too soon. But then there's also, if you go back and look at all of his other stuff, I also found another set of kind of ideas that I thought were a little bit more clean and kind of straightforward as thinking about occasions as a set of nesting dolls from smaller to larger. And so in this article that I wrote for sociological theory, I kind of put these two traditions side by side, one being the interaction order and one being what I call ESCO, which is an acronym for um, encounters, situations, gatherings and occasions. And I think the interaction order, while a lovely talk, is a little bit, I don't want to say garbled in the sense of, it's just not as clean. <laughs> um, he says that it starts with these kind of ambulatory units of people coming together roughly, then there's contacts, then there's encounters, and then there's formal meetings, platform performances, and then celebratory social occasions. And when you read that, you think that sounds kind of good. It starts from small little, you know, kind of one to one interactions and builds up, but it still seems a little bit garbled. And, uh, you know, what's a celebratory social occasion Can, is a riot, a celebratory occasion <laughs> is a, you know, I'm not quite sure. But if you go back and you look at all of his other work, you can see that he mentions these encounters, situations, gatherings, and occasions. And I say those are nested concepts. And I build an argument around those four kinds of patterns of conduct. Would you be willing to, to walk us through what those different terms mean? Because those are words that are, you know, they're, they're part of our lexicon. They're not strange uh, theoretical terms that we have to look up in the dictionary. But I'm still curious how you use each of those four, especially how they, they build on each other. Sure. So I think the an encounter, he mentions this and he talks about this in behavior in public spaces. He says that these are kind of face to face, very personal, and they're very really focused. He sometimes talks about focused and, and unfocused interactions, right? So so an encounter is just two people kind of maybe walking down the road and they see each other, they have a meeting, maybe it's a date or a job interview, you know, two people just having an encounter, right? But then there's a situation, and that is what I see like as a more focused interaction of a larger group of people who have, you know, kind of like are mutually monitoring and have shared expectations of each other. And that that would be like, you know, kind of an encounter. A gathering is maybe a little bit larger and more divided aggregate of participants. So you can think of maybe a sociology conference as being a, a gathering of people, right? You're not all immediately present in each other's consciousness and awareness. There's some shared identity. There's some shared belief that people have, some norms that are developed. There's an order there, but you're not kind of in each other's mutual, you know, kind of co-presence. And then at, and then at the larger level, there's an occasion, which is a kind of like bigger structure that I think what he says is like kind of like a as a shifting entity and it's created by everybody kind of coming together and arriving and it could be destroyed by everybody leaving at the same time. It has this kind of shifting quality to it. Um, and I see that these kind of like social gatherings as being kind of a different kind of order 
in comparison with the ambulatory units and celebratory gatherings model of the interaction order. How important is the, and I don't know if this, I hope this question makes sense. How important is the concept of place in the way you're theorizing, you know, the sociology of occasions, because it it seems so geographic in, in what you're talking about, especially in your work on festivals, right? The way that place really sets the stage for what type of interactions will occur. Um, is that something that you bring into Goffman or does Goffman himself, is he someone who theorizes his importance of place? Yeah, I think so. I think, I hope my answer makes sense too. I absolutely think that he was a sociologist of place more than maybe we give him credit for and more than maybe most people do. I think that uh, when talking about asylums, he's talking about a very specific place. A total institution has these kind of physical qualities to it. And so I think that there, I, I would imagine if he were talking about institutionalized gaming in a casino, that he would be talking about place. Maybe not in the same way that we would think of somebody talking about a place in kind of a poetic way, but that place helps shape these social occasions. And so I absolutely think you're pushing on uh, kind of an open door. And when I'm thinking about the a sociology of occasions, what I do is, is that I, I say that there are four resources, three patterns, and five properties or dynamics. And, and, the, and the resources are contested, uh, accessed, and you know kind of hoarded maybe in these occasions. So they can be symbolic they can be economic, they can be kind of social, human, intellectual, and they can also be physical. And so I say that these groups kind of come together and they either exploit these resources or they board them or they share them in these occasions. And when I'm thinking about music festivals, I'm thinking about how a music festival can kind of like brand a city and exploit the symbolic resources of that city. It also exploits particular kinds of physical spaces that it uses. And depending on the availability of physical resources, an occasion like a festival changes. And so that's why I start talking about the different patterns of these social occasions. So some some festivals are very closed off. Um, They're like at a one of the festivals that I studied is, was that kind of like a actual fort? And so I call that the Citadel model, where it's just kind of like, there's walls, you have food trucks on the inside, people enter into the music festival, they do not leave the music festival. And then also there's other dynamics too, though, where the festival might be a little bit more spread out. And then I also say that there's a kind of confetti model. So there's a, then I call that the core model. And then there's a confetti model where just all the different occasions are spread all over the city. So um, the Day of the Dead in Mexico, for example, is there can be a parade that's a very focused, you know, kind of core event. But then there's also all these other festivities all around the city that make it kind of a more diffuse experience. And then I say that there's dynamics to this or properties to it. And porosity is a really good one. Goffman loved talking about kind of focused or closed off get-togethers, and then more porous ones that are unfocused where people kind of come and go. And you can see how that's really important when thinking about something like an occasion like a music festival. Should an occasion like a music festival be very porous, where people can kind of come and go? Or should it be very closed off, where all the resources, not just the kind of like actual performances themselves, but access to food, access to the kinds of activities that people are are participating in? Should everyone have access to it or only people who are ticket holders? And so, yeah, I think space is absolutely a critical part of this. So I'm wondering, this it's it's interesting listening to the way that you theorize the festival. And Again, I hope this I hope this question makes sense. Does Goffman not only provide tools for helping you understand the world, but has he also influenced the way that you write? Because it's it's I I see so much overlap in 
the way you're describing the festival where you're you're looking at things that people can see and have experienced and you're providing a terminology to really understand the mechanics of it. And maybe that's the difference between that real micro level examination versus that taking a little bit of a step back and being like, well, here's the pattern. Here's the term that can help you understand the difference between X and Y, even though they look very similar. Is that making sense at all? It does. I mean, I don't know if it influenced me explicitly, but I mean, I will say that that is why Goffman is such a well-cited person in our field. He he can do that for, he has that meso level set of concepts and ideas that allows us to understand what we see. And so he does that kind of middle range theory that Merton asked us to do, but without explicitly saying it. And by not Well, I mean, I think he did it, too. I think that he did a a lot of that, too. He just doesn't say, here, I'm doing meso-level sociology. (laughs) He actually kept his cards, uh, I guess to use a metaphor, he he kept his cards relatively close to his vest in that way. He didn't talk about many of the people that he was inspired by or referenced. He cites so widely, you sometimes don't have a sense of where he's coming from. And so I think that he maybe doesn't do it as explicitly as maybe some people would like and in some ways that would be more helpful. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think that we all, anyone who uses Goffman, I think writes in this way, although I wouldn't be sure about it. Are there other theorists that you find Goffman's ideas work particularly well with or that you've drawn on and placed in conversation? Yeah. So I mentioned Henri Lefebvre. So Henri Lefebvre talks about these kind of trilectics of space. He talks about the physical, the social, and the symbolic all working together. And and anytime that you look at space, you can see a space in these three different kinds of of ways. They're all overlapping. It's not a typology. It's an ontology. It's a way of seeing a space. And so if you look at a faculty member's office, it has a physical aspect to it. There's a desk. Maybe the desk is open and facing, you know, so so that, um, or it could block Uh, you know, kind of the space between the professor and the student, or it could be open where the student and the professor are maybe more kind of like open towards each other. That's a, that's the physical aspects of it. There's social aspects of it. Is it in a hallway that's kind of not busy? Is it in a kind of very nice, lots of interactions in the hallway? Do lots of people come to that office and and chat or do, do people kind of like leave it alone? And there's also a symbolic aspect to it where you see like maybe if you ever go into a professor's office and there's like maybe two books, you're like, what's the deal? <laughs> or if it's, if it's just like overflowing with books and papers and degrees hanging on the wall, there's all sorts of symbolic codes that are in that space. And so I used the trilectics, what Henri Lefebvre and, and his followers you know, kind of called the trilectics of, of space. I use that in the application in my description of how to understand occasions. And so I say that there's kind of four resources. I cheat and I say that there's economic resources and the social and cultural, but I also use the physical and the symbolic. And I add the economic. So it's four instead of three, even though Henri Lefebvre probably would have wrapped the economic into the social. So yes, there's absolutely a hidden merger of Henri Lefebvre and Goffman in my descriptions. So my background is in geography before I switched over to sociology. Uh, I got my master's in cultural geography. And uh, it's really interesting to hear the way that you're using Goffman and thinking back about my training in geography uh, in comparison, Bourdieu made his way into geography. He's widely cited, but you don't see a lot of Goffman in geography and it makes makes perfect sense. Right. And that merger you're just talking about with Lefebvre, of course. Right. (laughs) But my choice of PhD was either going to go to CUNY in sociology or UCLA in urban planning and work with um, Ed Soja, who is a, he was one of the main followers of Lefebvre in the geography and, and planning world. 
And so that tension, I guess, in me is something that you're picking up on. Yeah, no, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I do, it is really interesting to see which theorists cross those disciplinary boundaries and which ones yeah. remain. Goffman is the sociologist, Bourdieu somehow spread more widely. And maybe it's the style of writing. Maybe it's the challenge of Bourdieu's writing makes it so people want to pick him up in other areas. Um, but yeah, this, the Goffman connection makes so much sense. Yeah, that's great. All right, here's a question that we... Started out, uh, and I said I'm kind of previewing this because I find this so fascinating. When students are exposed to Goffman, it's often in, you know, intro to sociology, Goffman's example of someone who could lead us to symbolic interaction or lead us to this paying attention to the micro aspects of everyday life. So is he a symbolic interactionist? Why do we end up with this micro focus with Goffman? Is that a misreading or is it just a reading of only part of his work? I don't think it's a misreading. I think it's a maybe a little bit of a misunderstanding. Symbolic interactionists absolutely want to claim him as one of their own for good reason. You know, I mean, he's a really well-known sociologist, right? And so you want to say that this is kind of somebody who's is one of ours, right? One of us. Um, just like when the poet at Biden's inauguration, like every sociologist is like, she's studying yeah. sociology, <laughs> right? You just want to claim, you know, which is terrible. Yeah. Um, uh, and it certainly feels like there should be a connection when he talks about face performances, impression management, dramaturgy, it seems like there's a good connection there. So I would say it has a lot to do with what it seems like it would apply to symbolic interactionism. And then he's speaking to symbolic interactionism. And then secondly, that a ton of symbolic interactionists take exactly in the same way that we we're talking about it earlier, they take his ideas and concepts and apply them to symbolic interactionism, which is great. At the same time, a lot of people don't think that this is a particularly deserving of his membership in that tradition. He wasn't. He had micro level details. He did see himself and describe himself occasionally as an urban ethnographer. But at the same time, he was using those details to kind of build a broader, kind of more abstract and structural and formal argument. Randall Collins says that I can't I think it, I think it was in Interaction Ritual Chains that Randall Collins says that Goffman never referred to some of the other big people that are kind of the classics in symbolic interactionism, Mead, Thomas, Cooley, Bloomer. Those are not people that were often mentioned in Goffman's work. I think he says he never mentions them, but I think that Thomas is mentioned occasionally, especially when talking about situations. Um, so I do think that there's kind of harmony to them, but it's not that he is a symbolic interactionist. Um, in fact, I think that he said he didn't affiliate himself with the tradition. So in trying to make sense of that and trying to decide whether we consider him to be part of that camp, although sometimes I do think we get too caught up with trying to place thinkers into particular intellectual traditions. But if we do follow that through, is it that Goffman didn't care about how the individual actually makes sense of the world and instead he was just trying to get at the norms and rules of the group? Is that where that tension or divide is? Well, I mean, there's two kind of big, I would say two big symbolic interactionists kind of foci, like I, at least, or let's just take two of them. I won't say they're the biggest or, or the two biggest is the self and the situation. The self, um, George Herbert Mead said that there's kind of classically, he says there's the I and the me. The I is the more biological and individualized. The me is more of the socially facing. I'm slapping my hands together as if you would see that. <laughs> I, I could, um, the mic could pick it up. So facing. it still works for emphasis. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> the socially facing part of us. And there's this kind of like I, me division. And if you read Goffman's work, you can see that there just really isn't much of an interest in the level of the I. In fact, his sense of self is very social and external. And one of my favorite lines is that the self comes off of the scene. 
right? So there's no, he's not interested in that kind of like biological component to it. Like he's not a psychologist, you know? So he sees himself as talking about the more social aspects of the self. And that certainly comes out in um, something like asylums where he's talking about re-socialization. Like, can you re-socialize somebody? Is there some core sense of self that is unchangeable? Or can something like in a total institution change the self? And this is one of those things that when I teach undergraduate sociology or theory, I love talking about with students because they want to hold on so desperately to that idea that there is some core sense of who they are that's that's the I. But Goffin was much more speaking about the me. And then the second part is the situation, you know, kind of classically W.I. Thomas says the and, and Dorothy Swain Thomas used this term, the definition of the situation. I define the situation as real. It's real in its consequences. And Goffman definitely seems to be a little wary of that, of that situations are something that we just interpret and we can take away our own tr- and we take away our own truths from it. And later on in his work, he kind of expressly. I don't know if it's because of this kind of annoying membership, you know, kind of in symbolic interactionism or not, but he does kind of engage with that idea of the definition of the situation to say that people can very well have very different interpretations of a situation, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a, a more s- structured ordering that is external to our own internal interpretations of that situation, that we can't freely define a situation. And so I think if you think about those two terms and how he looked at those terms, you can see him maybe being very different from a interactionist tradition and much more in line with Durkheim or Zimmel. Could you say a little bit more about that connection to Durkheim or even Zimmel and even really even bigger, why that matters? If he's not a symbolic interactionist, what was his lineage, you know, and some of his intellectual lineage? Um, when I was looking at events and occasions, I started thinking about, I, I made a connection with anthropologists like Max Gluckman and Barbara Meyerhoff and in, in Number Our Days. And I realized that Goffman himself has a connection to the more Durkheimian anthropology tradition. Radcliffe Brown is this famous anthropologist, and one of his protégés was a University of Chicago professor named Lloyd Warner. And Lloyd Warner is known as being one of these people who developed a really, uh, the idea of a community study, which we don't really talk about too much in sociology. But he wrote an amazing multi-volume study of a a coastal community, Newburyport, um, which is far away from where I am. It was called Yankee City. And in there, um, Lloyd Warner talks about a particular parade and an event and how things get kind of included in a parade and excluded from a parade, how that goes through a social process and how a parade is a kind of telling of what a community is to itself, how a community tells a story of itself to itself. (laughs) Um, And I was surprised to learn that Irving Goffman was Lloyd Warner's research assistant while he was working on the Yankee City study. And if you think about that in some way, you start realizing and, and realizing that he was Lloyd Warner's master's thesis, a master's and PhD student. I think you can see Goffman a little bit of a different way as, as, as being slightly more of a Durkheimian sociologist than we initially think about. And, you know, kind of we, we often struggle with understanding how he relates to symbolic interactionism, and we don't necessarily think about, okay, well, how is he more of a Durkheimian sociologist? But as I said, maybe at one point that he's interested in the order of situations, I think we start seeing him more as a, a Durkheimian and much more connections to the elementary forms of religious life than anything that we see in kind of the, as the precursor to symbolic interactionism like Mead and, and Thomas. 
you've done a lot of this already, but I always like to end with this question. It's one of my favorite questions, which mm -hmm. is imagine that you're standing in front of that classroom of undergraduates or grad students, or maybe this is a general public. What would you say? What's the argument for why people should pick up Irving Goffman's work and give it a look? You think you know Goffman. You don't. You, that's you can, a good, that's you, actually a great tagline for a movie as well. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you think you know. Yeah, the start about. of an action movie. Exactly, <laughs> Focus exactly. on Goffman. <laughs> I mean, sure. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, no, I would say that you think that, you know, him. these are very casually loosely used terms and, and concepts. And I, I hope that I've kind of talked a little bit about them more in depth to give you a sense of, you know, that they're actually much more rich and complex ideas and that you can actually kind of put them together in really interesting ways that can really help you use them in your empirical work, but also your, your theoretical work. And they're not just like toss off concept that you can say, like impression management, la la la. Instead, putting them together in a bigger system, you can really start to see the reasons why Goffman is such a, an important thinker in sociology. All right. That's a, that's a perfect place to end. So thank you again for joining us. Thanks for having me in my living room. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme music, undergraduate sociologists Beth Heberger, Alicia Rios, and Simone Graham for their help with the project. And most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance. Mm -hmm.